0: Hey everyone, you're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you have not heard of us before, you can check us out at www.axchamus.org or come check us out on a Sunday. All right, here is the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. Let's get into it. A few sayings for you: moderation in all things, to thine own self be true. God helps those who help themselves. Money is the root of all evil. Cleanliness is next to godliness. This too shall pass. The eye is the window to the soul. God works in mysterious ways. These sayings all have one thing in common. They are not in the Bible. None of them are in the Bible. I know some people have quoted them as though they were or think that they are, but none of them are in the Bible. Some of the things that are here are sort of close to or similar to things that are said in the Bible. Some of the things that are here are totally opposite of what's said in the Bible, but they're not in the Bible in this form. But we like sayings. My grandfather, Bill Field, some of you may have known him before. He passed away back in 2010, Um, but he, he had a lot of these sayings. He's always saying these things. He'd tell me, there's no free lunch, no free lunch. He'd say, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Ten minutes early is five minutes late. Maybe a few of you, I'm not saying who, might benefit from that one. Um, just saying, just saying. Uh, <laughs> he would say a penny saved is a penny earned. And I've followed that advice for over 40 years now, and I have saved $2.34. So, I haven't really ever saved pennies that I remember. <laughs> Anyway, he had a bunch of these sayings, right? Probably like the ones that your grandfather, your mom, or your dad had when you were young, right? They have all these little sayings. Um, And and we love these kinds of sayings, even though they're not from the Bible. And there are some sayings that are kind of like this in the Bible. If you look at the wisdom literature, especially Proverbs, you get a lot of these kinds of sayings. Uh, But punchy sayings, uh, quick sayings that are pithy, are not what Scripture is about, particularly, and certainly are not what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We have been in a series for a number of weeks now called Right Side Up. Right Side Up. And it's a series that is going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is, uh, which is a sermon of Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's just Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Okay? And, and that series is where Jesus is kind of showing us the difference between the kingdom of God and his perfection, his holiness, and, and, and how, he would have, how he would have us live, and the culture of the world the way that the world lives. And he's showing us that the culture of the world and the way that the world is, and the worldview of the world is upside down and that the kingdom is right side up. And so so he's kind of coming against all kinds of things that we believe and all kinds of ways that we've set up our lives to show us what it really looks like to be a child of God and to be a kingdom person. And so that's what we've been going through. If you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't, you can look on your phone, or you can check it out here um, on the screen behind me. Uh, and, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot going on in this passage, okay? But one of the things that's important that we understand just kind of up front, especially as we dive into this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is that Jesus is not just peppering us with slogans and sayings that we can sort of separate out, print on a coffee mug, and sort of live by. That's not the point of what he's doing. We just went through the Beatitudes. That's all the stuff says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are blessed, blessed are the meek, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. We went through that and you could take any one of those and look at it. And we did one by one. We went through those, right? And we, and we studied them and we looked at them, but they are not by themselves sitting in the middle of space by themselves. They are part of a context, and they form the themes for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and they're themes that run all the way through Scripture. So you need to understand that they are not by themselves. Remember, Jesus is God, and God inspired all of the Scripture. So when Jesus teaches, he is not just giving us things to say or a quick quote. He is tying together ultimate truth, the whole show, the meaning of life, Who he is, who we are, everything is all tied together. You can't just pull one out. When you pull on that string, you find it goes all the way through Scripture. You may remember as we studied that Jesus promises the same thing in the first beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He promises the same thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He opens it, and he closes it with the same thing. Here in this passage, Jesus begins with, do not think I came to destroy the law and the prophets, right? So we finished the Beatitudes last week. There's actually a section where he sort of comments on that, that we actually did a number of weeks ago. And now we're starting a new section. At the beginning of this section, he says, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. At the end of this section, which actually doesn't end until chapter 7, verse 12, he says this, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. See how he opens and closes. He bookends. He's got a structure to what he's doing. Jesus has a structure. Some of you have noticed that I use notes when I preach. I don't know whether when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount or other teachings whether he used notes. I'm guessing not. He was Jesus. I am not. Um, So I do use notes because I don't have time during the week to memorize my whole sermon. A lot of the week being spent counseling Todd Roy about his difficulties with losing his hair. So you're the same guy, Todd. You're just not as tall as you used to be. So... And I left Glenn alone this week on that, and I could have hit him on that too. But in case you, you don't see it, there's a structure. There's a structure to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is using that structure to teach us much more than just the simple truths, much more. We here see Jesus clearly and certainly tying his teaching to what God has taught us in the Old Testament. What they would have called the scripture, right? When he says the law and the prophets, what the first century Jewish person would have understood him to be saying is the Bible, the scripture. It was the only scripture that they had at that point was what we call the Old Testament, right? At the time Jesus was teaching this, the Old Testament was the Bible, all of the Bible. Because the New Testament was literally being revealed as he was speaking. We are now studying the words that Jesus was speaking, which make up the New Testament. So the New Testament was being made. The Old Testament was what they had. And so when Jesus says, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. He's talking about the Old Testament. And I know the burning question for most of us when you hear that verse is, what in the world is a jot or a tittle? Well, let me tell you. I looked this up on gotquestions.org. It is A jot is the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's the smallest. It was written above the line and looks to us rather like an apostrophe. So this is a jot, okay? A tittle is even, is even smaller than a jot. It's a letter extension, okay? It's a pen stroke that differentiates one Hebrew letter from another. So if you look at the screen behind me, you'll see one letter looks like this and then one letter has that little pen stroke that comes out in the end. That little piece there is the tittle, okay? It's very, very small. So Jesus is being very clear that the scripture was not being abolished. It was not being destroyed. It was not being done away with, but that it was going to be fulfilled to the tiniest detail, to the tiniest detail. Now, this is where some people will start to get nervous, right? If you've read the Old Testament, because there's a lot of things in the Old Testament scripture that the Israelites were asked to keep in the law, what we would call the Pentateuch. Uh, including the sacrificial system. I'm guessing very few of you brought animals this morning to sacrifice. We don't do that here. We're not going to do that for you. But things like you couldn't wear clothes made of different fabrics, for those of you wearing a polyester cotton blend this morning. (laughs) Circumcision. People get real nervous. (laughs) Not eating pork or shellfish. No bacon. Okay, That's, that's in there, right? Before you all run out of here and think that I'm teaching you this and you look for another church, a bacon-friendly church, as we call them, let me just walk you through this, okay? Um, There are some different views on what Jesus is saying here, but I'm not aware of many Christians who believe that what he's saying here is that we are going to be following all of the civil and the ceremonial and the moral laws of the Old Testament, but rather that... He's saying something very different. People have kind of split this up. Moral, civil, ceremonial. I think it's more complicated than that. Lord willing, one day we'll get to to really dive into the the law and and, and suss it out a little bit and see kind of what that's about. But the point is, we're not talking about all of a sudden now we got to stop eating bacon, okay? Obviously, that is not something that I have kept. Um, And so uh, (laughs) if you want to read further on Of different ways that people have seen what Jesus is saying, right here. There's a book by D.A. Carson called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and His Confrontation with the World, a study of Matthew 5 through 10. It's been a very helpful book to me in preparing these messages. If you want to kind of dig into it, it sort of goes into some different things that that people believe that this might mean, but very few, if any, would believe that it means we're supposed to follow everything that's in the Old Testament. Um, What he's really saying. To really understand the passage, we got to look at the words. What is he saying? He's saying that the law and the prophets will not pass away until what? Until they're fulfilled. Until they're fulfilled. Now, what does fulfilled mean? Again, typed into Google. This is the definition it gave me. To bring to completion or reality. Achieve or realize something desired, promised, or predicted. Fits pretty well here. That's what he's saying. The scripture is going to be fulfilled. We're going to bring to completion reality. We're going to achieve that which was desired, promised, and predicted. Jesus is saying something very important about the scriptures that they promise and predict something that is desired. They promise and predict something that is desired. And that these promises and predictions will be completed and realized, they will be fulfilled. Jesus is the promise of the scriptures. He is the son of God. He is the one who has fulfilled the scriptures. That's who he is. In John chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus says, the scriptures cannot be broken. They cannot be broken. They will be fulfilled, right? He says this in John 5, 39 through 40. You, he's talking to the Jews here, you examine the scriptures carefully because you suppose that in them you have eternal life. Yet they testify about me but you are not willing to come to me to have life. And then in verses 45 through 47 of chapter 5 of John, it says, do not suppose that I will be the one to accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses. Remember, Moses is the, according to the tradition, Moses is the writer of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay. He's the, the writer of those. So he's saying, Moses is your accuser, right? You, I'm sorry, is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Because if you believed Moses, you would believe me since he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Jesus is telling the Jewish people something. He's telling them something very clear. He's telling them that the scripture that they claim to follow is all about him. Now, listen to what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And, and he goes, uh, there's, there's two of his disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. They've heard that he's risen from the dead, and they're just kind of like, well, what, what's going on with this? And they're confused by it, and so on. He comes, he starts talking to them, sort of disguises himself so they don't know who he is, and then he says this to them. This is Luke 24:25 through 27 and verse 32. It says, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, beginning of the Bible, and all the prophets through the rest of the Old Testament, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And later on it says this. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? It's all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the scripture. Now the scripture reveals to us our condition, our state, the state that we're in, the state that we all know. And we all know what state we're in. Every time we watch the news, every time we see some evil happening around us or experience suffering or see suffering in somebody else. When we experience the breakdown of our bodies, there's a reason the Pastor Dave looked like that when he tried to dance this morning, right? It was sad. It was very sad. When you start to realize that your parents are probably going to die soon, you know? that's uh, um, Relatively soon, right? I mean, that dancing was rough. No, I'm kidding. Um, the destruction of our bodies, right? The destruction of our planet. When we see fights and violence, and anger in our culture, in our world, but even closer, every time we put down our iPhones for a minute, and take a second to reflect on ourselves, and the wickedness of our own hearts, and recognize the envy, and the greed, and the malice, and the selfishness that's in us, we realize our condition, the state that we are in. The Holy Spirit through Paul writes in Romans 8, 20 through to the first part of 24. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. We are groaning in the pain of this world. And here's the second part. We know it's our fault. We know it's our fault. It's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, these then are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not in fact behave in that way. They know the law of nature. They break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. We know that the world is broken. We know that we are broken. And the scripture confirms this. From Genesis chapter 3, where we first see the fall, we know the problem the problem of sin that is laid out for us, but also the promise. The prediction, the promise of redemption. Jesus promised that the seed of Eve would be our redeemer. The scripture shows Adam as bringing sin into the world. And Jesus fulfills the scripture as the new Adam that defeats sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22. Holy Spirit through Paul writes this. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for those who have died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. We see the connection, everything, Christ's birth, his life, his death, his rising from the dead, and his return, and his everlasting kingdom, all of those things are revealed in the scriptures. Paul tells us this earlier in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. How does he know? According to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. According to the scriptures. He's not talking about the New Testament, the gospels that talk about this. He is talking about the scriptures. The Old Testament, all of this was revealed in the Old Testament. All that happened was according to the Scriptures, was a fulfillment of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us through the writings of Paul that the Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, has promised, they have promised Jesus, and that Jesus in coming to the earth has fulfilled that promise. It's a fulfillment. That is what he's talking about. That is what he's talking about says this in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, having spoken in former times in fragmentary and varied fashion to our forefathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by a son whom he appointed to be the heir of everything and through whom he also made the universe. Christ is promised and Christ delivered. He fulfills the scriptures. He was predicted by prophecies about his birth, life, death, and resurrection. He also was revealed in his line that, go, that we can see all the way from Adam all the way to Mary, his mother. We see this line that goes through, this line of people, all of whom were sinners in need of redemption, all of whom would eventually look to him for their redemption. We see all of that. We also see that Jesus is foretold through his people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, right? And, and not just them, but we see through Noah, who, who was saved from the flood, and Jesus is our Savior, bringing us to peace through the flood, through the death that comes to the world from sin. We see that he is the fulfillment of Abraham, who was promised all these children, all these nations, that all nations, once Christ came, died, rose again, the church was born at Pentecost, and on all nations, now look to Jesus Christ. He's the true Abraham. He's the fulfillment of Moses, who led the Israelites, God's people, through the desert. Talks about Jesus being the bread of life, like the manna that they had. Talks about Jesus being the water of life, and the rock, and the water that came from the rock in the desert. This is all talking about Jesus. They suffered 40 years in the desert, right? Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, showing in that case that That man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They lived by the manna. Jesus was foreshadowed through what they went through. They sacrificed a lamb on Passover so the angel of death would pass over them. They would be saved from that. And Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that purchases us from death. He is that sacrificial lamb. They would go to the priest the one that would be between them and God, between them and the Father. Jesus comes to be the priest forever. Let's read a few verses out of Hebrews. This is verse 7, 21, uh, the second part of that verse, and then 25 through 28. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. He is the fulfillment of what we saw in foreshadowing. We don't need priests and the sacrifices and whatever works. Jesus is the final sacrifice. He's the fulfillment, and he's, he rose from the dead and is forever making intercession for us. Look, we could study and learn a lot more about Melchizedek, right? The king of Salem, who Abraham visited and gave a tithe to, who brought out what to Abraham? Bread and wine. We could could go, I mean, this goes deeper and deeper and deeper. We could talk about the visions of the prophet Daniel or the significance of the Israelites coming into the promised land and on and on and on. The scriptures are full of the Messiah, Jesus. Full. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament and bringing the kingdom. Bringing the kingdom, the life of the kingdom that you and I can be citizens of the life of the kingdom, that we can have life in Christ. Now, after telling us in our passage this morning that the scripture will not be destroyed and that it will be fulfilled, Jesus went on to say this, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What commandments? What commandments then? Is he talking about the commandments of the Old Testament, all the laws that we talked about, the bacon thing and all that? No. And yes. Jesus is beginning a section of the Sermon on the Mount here. Okay? In this section, he's going to give us many commandments. These are are his commands that he's talking about that he's going to give us. And he's going to make a distinction between the Scriptures and himself versus the commands that the scribes and Pharisees have been teaching. You have to understand something about what's going on at this time in history with, with the Jewish people. A, a lot of the Jewish people, they had this oral tradition, this tradition that they had that, that kind of went alongside Scripture, okay? And they had built this tradition up, and, and, and they, they, they viewed it as basically equal to Scripture. And it was basically commentaries and, and extra rules that came on top of the rules that were in Scripture, right? And so as an attorney, some of you know that I, that I was an attorney, um, that this is my penance for that. <laughs> um, and, and as an attorney, we have the law, but then we have all these commentaries on the law. All these commentaries, so you have this rule, and then you've got all these commentaries of what people say. Uh, we have things called the restatement of the law, and it goes into depth about what this rule really means, and then you've got all these cases and case law, whatever. Well, they had that too. They had all this extra stuff that was not Scripture, but that they had elevated to the level of Scripture, okay? And Jesus, will you'll hear him say things, uh, we'll hear him as we, as we read his teachings, as we go on, you'll hear him say things like this. You have heard that it was said to those of old. Not you have seen it written in the Scripture, but rather you have heard that it was said to those of old. That's a very different thing. He's talking about this oral tradition, right? So, And then he'll say, but I tell you, and he'll lay out the command that is at the heart. He'll drive to the heart of the Scripture and lay out the commandments. That's what he's talking about here. He's separating these oral traditions and rules that the scribes and the Pharisees taught from Scriptures, separating those from his commandments, And these are the commandments that we are called to follow here. But we see here when Jesus says that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, what we need to understand here is that we could never get there. We could never get there. We cannot be that righteous. And any of you that have read Jesus' words in the gospel know that neither could the scribes or the Pharisees be as righteous as they pretended to be or thought that they were. Paul the Apostle had an understanding of what the promise of Scripture was and the fulfillment of the Scripture in Jesus Christ. Okay, This is not just about knowing sayings that help us to feel good or to solve problems. This is ultimate truth. This is the meaning of life. This is what gives you as a person value that you are made in the image and likeness of God. Let me, let me explain something to you here that you need to understand, that when Jesus is coming insane. saying, The law is going to be fulfilled. I'm the fulfillment of this law. When he comes in and says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. When he's talking about that, he's saying, I am the manifestation. I am the thing that has come that is the truth says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And what he's doing by that is not only showing us who he is by everything he did, all of his miracles, all of the things he said, and then, of course, by rising from the dead. But in doing that, he's also verifying all of the Old Testament that points to him over and over and over again. And here's why that's good news to you. Because the world does not have that worldview. They do not believe that the scriptures are true. They see it as an old book. People say, it's a Bronze Age, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. It's a pretty fancy Bronze Age, blah, 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 that completely predicts in every way Jesus Christ, who we know, who basically no scholar these days would deny that Jesus existed and did a lot of the things, even the ones who who reject the Bible think he did a lot of things he said, if not all the things that he said he has verified the Old Testament. And that is really good news for you because what it says is that you have value, that you were made in the image and likeness of God, that you have value, that Jesus was going to come and redeem you even though you're a sinner and a rebel and selfish and wicked, that he was going to come, that even while you were sinners, Christ died for you. To, to understand how much value that puts on you, do you know who you are? Jesus, 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 has come to be the fulfillment. Jesus is it. But the world doesn't tell you that. See, if you listen to the world, uh, especially these days, more and more, and we see it more and more, there's two things that I see. I see a rise kind of in the atheism, and then I see a rise kind of in apathy. The atheism thing is is what it is. The apathy thing is more of this kind of postmodern thing. It's like, I don't care anymore. I don't know what's true. I don't care anymore. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Don't go there. There's truth. There's truth. Look at the scriptures, dig in deep, get mature, go, go deeper and deeper and see, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me, and then boom, here I am. And I fulfill and I fulfill and I fulfill, and you can trust this to be true. Because if you don't and you believe there's no God, then guess what you're worth? Nothing. If there's no God, you are just a collection of atoms bouncing around. You have no control, you have no purpose, you have no value, and we are just waiting for the heat death of the universe. Yay! Right? Yay! The only reason you're here today is because Adam's bounced around a certain way and you showed up. If you believe anything that I say, it's because Adam's bounced away and showed up. Not because anything's true or false. None of that matters. You're just a meat sack. And Jesus is coming against that. He's saying, no, 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 you're my child. How do you know that you're valuable? Because I said you're made in the image and likeness of God, and then I proved that what I said there was true. That's what he's talking about when he says, not one jot or tittle will disappear from the law until it's all fulfilled. And when it's fulfilled, it means that the promises that were made were true. It means that it all comes together, that the string goes all the way through. And thank God that it does. (laughs) Because we have a purpose as because of that. He says, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he proves it out by rising from the dead, which is what our faith is based on, a historical fact. Not some blind faith. Not some, not some we like this book better than the, one, the book that these people are using or better than this or better than that. No. Our faith is based on the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that didn't happen... We're wasting our time here, and we're in real big trouble because we're worthless. If it did happen, then all of this is true, and we are worth something, and we can have hope, and we do have purpose, and we can live in joy, and it happened. It happened. This is also what gives us a grounding for what's right and wrong. We dedicated some children this morning. Most of you, when you talk to your children, and you tell them, hey, don't do that, that thing's wrong, most of you believe that what you're saying is that that thing is actually wrong, not just that it's your preference that they don't do that thing, right? Now, sometimes it's your preference, like, stop bothering me, may not be wrong, it's just what I heard most of my life, I don't know, may not be wrong for them to bother you, right? That may not be one of those moral issues, but there's (laughs) lots of things, like, hey, you ought to treat people this way you ought to do this, you ought to do that. When we're talking about moral rights and wrongs, you've got two choices. You believe in God and scripture, and therefore you believe that what's right or wrong are grounded in the very nature of who God is, or you don't believe in God and scripture, in which case you can never say that anything is right or wrong. You can only talk about what you prefer. Hitler preferred this. Mother Teresa preferred that. They're both whatever. I don't think we want to live in that world. But because Jesus fulfilled the scripture, we can have faith and trust that what's right is right, that what's wrong is wrong. That's how we know who we are, as C.S. Lewis talks about. That's how we know our need for him. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that although we do not deserve it, although we have been rebels against God, living selfishly, he loves us. God loved us enough to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life, will be saved, will be redeemed, will be reconciled to God. That is the gospel. And it's true. And Jesus is showing us why we should believe it's true because of his fulfillment of the scriptures. This is the hope. Jesus is the hope. Of the Israelites of the Old Testament. He's the hope of nations today. He is the hope of every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet that has ever lived. Their hope is in Jesus Christ that they might be reconciled to God. This is the promise of the hope that we see from Genesis 3, when we see the fall and we see the promise, to Revelation 22 and His coming kingdom and glory. It's all the same, it's all tied through. The scripture is all together. And Paul got it. Paul got it. As to the letter of the law in the Old Testament, he had more to brag about than just about anybody. Paul could brag. He had a resume. And yet, that's not where his hope was. That's not where his pride was. Listen to what Paul says in uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul in Philippians 3 three through 14. Listen to his resume and then listen to where his confidence is. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised, the eighth day, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Is that where you are? You count all this as rubbish, just to gain Christ, that He's it. not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. It's all about grace, right? The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul gets it. Paul gets it. His righteousness, born on this and circumcised on this day and uh, all that. He's like, that's garbage, trash, nothing. It was never going to save me. I could never keep it perfectly. I throw everything away that I would have pride in just to know Jesus Christ. Now, that's a powerful relationship. Everything outside of Jesus is trash and death. The sooner we get that, the sooner we live in life and joy. Nothing compares to Jesus. We were made to live forever. You know that? We were made for relationship with our God, our Creator, our Father, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We were made for relationship with God. We were made for joy. All chance of that was gone under the law. Because we did not keep it and we could not keep it, but Jesus Christ fulfilled it. Jesus Christ fulfilled it. He came as the Redeemer. He fulfilled the law and the prophets and made a way for us to be reconciled to God. Jesus made a way for us to have a real relationship with God. Right? And he did this while we were still sinners, which is so incredible. Paul got that. We need to get that. We need to live like we get that. Are you living like you get that? Are you living like you understand how much Jesus loves you, how much God loves you, how important you are, made in the image and likeness of God, saved by God? God? By his death on the cross for you, do you live like you understand that? It is only because of Jesus that Paul can write, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Because without Jesus, all we could do is suffer and groan and cry and die because of what's behind us, because of what's behind us. We know our sin. We know our hearts. We know our rebellion. Do you know that I could not say forgetting what is behind, I would just want to die. I know that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God is righteous. I don't even understand the fullness of his holiness because I'm so broken. But if I couldn't say forgetting what is behind, I press on toward the goal for that upward call in Christ Jesus. If I couldn't do that, I'd rather just die. I can't stand under the weight of my own sin. But because of Jesus, I can forget what's behind. Because of Jesus, you can forget what's behind. You came in here, you've got a story. If you're honest with yourself and your heart, you're not full of pride, you know that you want to forget what is behind. But the only way you can ever do that is by Jesus. If not, then what's behind is you. And you're still in it. And you're still in the chains and the darkness of sin. But with Jesus Christ, you can forget what's behind and press on. That's an amazing thing. Some of you long for that. Some of you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet. You long to forget what is behind. I know what that is. I know what it is every day of my life, the joy that I have in in forgetting what is behind. This is how we understand to make us poor in spirit, to make us mourn over our sin and be comforted, and to make us hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should want to follow Jesus' commandments. We should want to follow Jesus' commandments, because following his commandments is about kingdom life. You know, the great commission, right? Go into the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. We're to obey all that Jesus commanded, and we're to teach the other disciples to obey all of his commands. This is our our mission statement at Acts Church. This is the great commission for every single believer, every single disciple of Christ, we're to teach the commands. Why? Because they're full of life and the fulfillment of Scripture. The redemption and reconciliation that Jesus bought and paid for and won for Himself and for us. We're saved because Jesus won. We're saved because God came through His promise, came through on His promise, and gave us Jesus. And we should desire righteousness. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should want to follow his commands. It's not about rules to earn your own righteousness, or your own pride, or your own, I'm better than this person because I don't smoke, drink, spit, chew, and go with the girls that do, or whatever it is. Right? So I'm better than that guy. That's not what it's about. That has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with what we follow his commands. It's about the passionate love that we have for the one who had such a passionate love for us that he died for us while we were still sinners. about wanting righteousness and holiness, not to be better than other people, not to be puffed up, but that we might know him more. I'm going to end by telling you a little bit about my kitty cat. Um, I have a kitty cat. It's actually my wife's cat. It's very soft. And I was laying in my bed this week, and I just wanted to snuggle that kitty cat, right? Kitty cat's on the bed. And so, I'm thinking, I just really want to snuggle this kid, so I grab the kitty cat, and I bring it over, and I hold it, and I snuggle it. Well, here's the thing about kitty cats, or at least this kitty cat. It doesn't like that. <laughs> it doesn't want me to hold it all like this and just pet it and just, mm. right? And, I, and I, as I was thinking about it, I realized this is the same problem I've had with every pet I've ever had and with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> it, come to think of it, with my wife, too. Try to... Hold her in the bed, and after a little while, it's like we got a king sized bed, get over there. And I have a headache. Yeah. That's why I keep aspirin on the nightstand. Like, uh uh-uh. uh. I'm kidding. I would never do that anymore. Um, I want to snuggle those who I love. I don't really love the kitty cat, I just think she's soft. Or my huskies, they're just kind of soft and whatever. But I do love my kids, and I do love my wife. And, and when I want to snuggle them, it's an expression of, I want to be close to you. I just want to hold you. I just, I just want that physical uh, action of, of holding and cuddling, just being close, helping them to feel the, the protection and the love of my arms. But what they want, particularly my kids as they got older, they want some freedom. They don't want to be in the grasp of their father. They want to go play video games. So it's like, Dad, I don't want to do this right now, right? I mean, to be fair, they're 17 and 19. No, I'm kidding. i don't. (laughs) talking about when they were little. They don't want to be in that that place necessarily. Here's the thing. Jesus' commands are kind of like his hug, kind of like him wanting to. I, I know that if I love my children like that, and that's my desire is to hold them close, that if Jesus loves us like that, it's his desire to hold us close. And his commands are the protection and the love that holds us close. They're not about rules. They're not just about rules because he's got a power trip or something. He's God. He doesn't need to have a power trip. He could just be like, it's over. Peace. We're done. Universe, gone. He could do that. He's holding the whole universe together. He doesn't need a power trip. He's not giving you rules so that he can feel good about himself that you do what he says. That's That's not what it's about. He's giving you rules because he loves you. The commands are about his love and us following the commands is about us loving him. But what happens is sometimes the commands feel like a little bit too tight of a hug and we get a little bit, "Mm, I kind of want to do this. I kind of want to push out of the protection. I kind of want to push out of the hug. It's a little too close. I want a little more of my own freedom. I want to do what I want to do. But if you understand that his commands are about loving you, that it's not about holding you so you can't do what you want to do, it's about holding you so that you'll do what's good for you. What's life-giving for you? It's a lot easier to follow those commands. If you realize those commands are about a closer and closer holding with Jesus. They're about a closer and closer hug with God. They're about a closer and closer time of coming into his protection, into his love. That's all they're for. So next time that you're you're looking at the commands and we go through these, and a lot of these are going to rub up against all of us, me first, as we read his commands and we go through the Scripture, I want you to think that as you're pushing against it, you're pushing against the loving arms of God. You're not just pushing against some arbitrary rule. Like God was like, should we allow adultery or not? Let's flip a coin. Heads, no adultery. It's not how he did it. These things flow from the nature of who God is, and they're about our human flourishing because we're made in his image and likeness. It's about love. It's about love. It's about Jesus. If you don't know him today... I want you to know him because following him and following his commands is amazing. Doing them and teaching them, you're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Avoiding them, pushing away, it's not going to go as well for you in the kingdom of God. You'll be least in the kingdom. We want righteousness not for the sake of righteousness. We want righteousness because it drives us closer and closer into the loving arms of our Savior thanks for listening to that axe church sermon we hope you got a lot out of it if you did we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like Uh, it really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it so share your story with us share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.